standard issue for all women. Hello, hello, and welcome to our annual man gig. Obviously, because pandemic, we're doing things differently, and so this natter with comedian Deliso Chaponda and screenwriter and actor Lawrence Ricard took place on Zoom rather than in front of a live audience. It is still an absolute smasher, mind. Chat includes Pet Cavemen, Jacinda Ardern, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Alton Towers and selling Ed Sheeran, as well as answering the questions, where did the Dunleavies get that Sanyo VHS recorder from and what exactly is Mick's granddad playing at? Just to note that when Deliso gets animated, his mic levels do get a tad distorted, but I'm sure you will be too distracted by the joy to much notice. On the subject of men... Please do have a listen to our IMD 2020 CHOP series, where we're chatting to, in no particular order, Andrew Cotter, Matt Fraser, Michael Spicer, Richard Herring and Dan Guinness and Ben Hurst from the Good Lad Initiative. A couple of those haven't even gone live as yet, but smash that subscribe button and they will be waiting for you when they do. Until next time. Hello and welcome to the Standard Issue podcast. I'm Hannah Dunleavy and tonight we're joined by two excellent guests who've chosen to spend tonight, the last night before lockdown with us, rather than in the pub or scrolling frantically to find out who is the President of America. Our first guest is Lawrence Rickard, actor, writer and star of Horrible Histories and Ghosts. Hello Lawrence, thank you for joining us. Hello, thank you for having me. Delightful to be here on this weird night yeah (laughs) not to be outside fighting the world so i have a question specifically for you which is i have decided of of all the ghosts i would like to be haunted by robin because i feel like that it wouldn't be that much different to having a pet they kind of go (laughs) he'd kind of go off do his own thing sometimes my pets just wander around shouting for no reason apparently um who do i see about arranging that I think I could give you the number of our exec and they'd be really pleased to just have me taken off their hands. Um, <laughs> though we have always said, I think there is a kind of a family dynamic amongst the ghosts. And we always thought of Robin as the dog in that sometimes he's kind of docile and sweet. And yet all the other ghosts are a tiny bit scared of him. He's kind of like that family pet who at some point might bite one of the guests. You know, I think, I think there is that, that side to him. He certainly smells. The smell would yeah. be an issue. Yeah, he's unpredictable, and that's one of the fun things about pets. You know, you never quite yeah. know what you're going to get. Absolutely. Does that costume smell? No, the costume is one. It doesn't smell at all. It looks like it should. It's just been beautifully broken down by the the, the costume department. And also, I'm always the perfect temperature. It's like we achieved clothing perfection thousands of years ago. We <laughs> people always coming up to me on, on well, you know, partly because you're one of the actors and partly because of, you know, it looks like it shouldn't be very comfortable and they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm perfect. And I genuinely, you know, you're sort of, enough of you's covered up to stay warm, but enough of you's out to get a bit of air. And it's just, I'm pretty much always ideal temperature. And then I have to get back into my stupid jeans and shirt. <laughs> it is worth yeah. pointing out to the listeners that Lawrence is dressed as Robin right now and I couldn't yeah. be more delighted. <laughs> and that lovely other laugh you can hear is from our next guest, Deliso Chaponda. Hello, Deliso. Thanks it's for joining us. Deliso, the high-pitched maniac Malawian <laughs> comedian. <laughs> and I'm Mickey Noonan. I'm delighted to introduce you. So, Deliso, thanks so much for joining us. I have a question for you. Obviously, you're a, a funny man. You're a professional funny man. And I just wondered, in these capital U unprecedented capital T times, how hard is it to find the funny? The actual truth is 
it's very easy to find the funny, which means that it's very bad times because struggle and pain always creates comedy. If you always look at where were the greatest comedians, it was usually when there was a war on or there was something depressing going on because there's so much to talk about. And so I wish it was harder to write right now, but no, it's very <laughs> easy. Absurd things happen all the time from conspiracy theories about what's going on to people not wanting to wear masks to like American election that's going on right now. There's just funny fodder every day. Doesn't necessarily cheer me up, but it makes people laugh. <laughs> Amazing. I have a follow-up question, and that is, have you sorted Brexit out yet? I have not sorted Brexit out. I've I've probably got around 70 different jokes about Brexit. I always have, depending what political thing is going on, because I have I'm a spreadsheet man. I always am interested what creates the most jokes. And Brexit has created the most jokes of, also because it's been dragged on so long, in terms of political moments. It's been so many jokes. And then also, coincidentally, of all American presidents, Trump just overtook George W. Bush in terms of how many jokes have been written about him. And it's just a time where more and more absurdity is bombarding us. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that because because I lived on my own for three months during like the the start of lockdown. Me too. Yeah, and I got loads and loads of jokes out of you know the sort of grey gardens or that I drew on a face on a balloon and was talking to it or that my life had become cast away. All cultural references. I mean, all hiding my hidden secrets, stay in my house and cry for three months of pain. But yeah, <laughs> um, it was it was an oddly hilarious situation to be in, even though it was. I suppose, objectively, thoroughly depressing at the same time. How many balloons did you go through? Oh, yeah, dozens. <laughs> There's also a kind of laughter, which is somewhere between laughter and weeping. And I think yeah. that that happens a lot nowadays, because I remember yeah, doing a routine about being lonely because it had been 50 days since I'd touched another human being. Yeah. And it was funny, but oh, it was depressing. <laughs> That I laugh got... sounds like the soundtrack to 2020. Yeah. Laughter right on the yeah. verge of tears. Yeah. I mean, if you can't laugh about the fact that it's currently illegal for me to have a sex life, I mean, what, what else is there? <laughs> that is exactly right. What else is there? <laughs> yes. It's a great excuse, though. No, I mean, I would be. It's just it's illegal at the moment. Yeah. yeah. I, mean... I do have a loophole. I have a loophole, which was a joke, because uh, they, they have to live with you. So if you go picking up, carry a lease. Right, and just be like, please sign this, sign this first. A sex oh. contract. That's called a sex contract. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to write that idea down. <laughs> Hannah, as ever, we're recording this. You don't need to write it down. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Good point. So, on a note of Hannah's sex life, this might not be her answer, <laughs> but if you could rewind 2020 to the top, or maybe to the top of the first lockdown. What would you do differently? And I'm going to start with Lawrence. Well, the main thing I would have done is started shooting ghosts exactly a week before we did. <laughs> because <laughs> we just buff yeah, buffeted up to the, the lockdown too close. And the last week was very, very difficult and stressful. And I think Katie mentioned when you spoke to her, Katie Wicks, but that suddenly having to compress our last two days of shooting into one one day... And, you know, shooting everything is always a bit tricky and you never quite have enough time or money to do it exactly how you saw it in your head. And then added to that the kind of stress of 
is everyone going to die? <laughs> you know, it kind of compounded the, 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 that natural stress you get in the last week of a shoot. And uh, it would have been nice if we could have taken things a little more easy in those final few days. Um, so yeah, I'd have started immediately after Christmas, we'd have started shooting. I mean, that's a really selfish thing. I feel like I should have had some sort of world peace answer. But, um, <laughs> no, I just, I just make the TV programme a bit easier. <laughs> Series two and three were commissioned at the same time. So I suppose you've had the advantage of having something to do in lockdown that you could write it. Yeah. I mean, and that has been uh, a lifeline. I mean, one, you know, practically knowing that there is, there's a gig that you're doing Mm -hmm. um, and therefore, you know, there's money coming in because that's the other thing. No one knows how long this uncertainty goes on for, but also just in terms of keeping your sanity and being able to, uh, get together with the guys, albeit over Zoom, and, and you know, write and discuss the story arcs and, and everything else. And also doing post-production on series two, which we all had to do remotely. It was strange and it was more difficult than it was in the first series, but it did give us something to focus on, which I think was a real godsend. Yeah. Delisa, what about you? If you could climb in a time machine and go back... Okay, well, if I could climb in a time machine, I'll just go back five years and just stay there for a while. That's not allowed. That wasn't the question. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> but if it was actually what I could do, if I could send myself like message in a bottle, first thing is I would realize that it's going to last a long time. So I was one of these idiots who, oh, it's going to be like a month or two. I would do things which I only did, like buy a microphone get fast internet, get a green (laughs) screen, like all the things which I've done now that it's finally dawned on me that, oh my gosh, I really need to adapt to this. And also on a personal note, I broke up with someone around three weeks before lockdown, okay? For a (laughs) trivial, for for the most trivial of trivial reasons, right and it's just one of those like i didn't know i did not know that i needed some other human being (laughs) i would tell myself just don't fight over that irrelevant i i broke up over a joke over a joke now to be fair the joke was probably like a um i don't know what the word is was representative of other problems in it but i got in trouble for a joke had a huge fight and we never got over that huge fight i would go back in time and say don't say that joke you need this person or you're going to be alone in a flat for three months. But you'd have, you'd have had to move in. That it was the alternative, though. <laughs> I would rather live... Like, I've got someone staying with me right now who is not a relationship, but just uh, another comedian who is having a hard time because of this. And as much as sometimes we get on each other's nerves, it is so much better than crushing loneliness. Like literally March, <laughs> April, May, I realized I don't like my own company, right? I just... did, you, did you pick another comedian just so that you knew you would be living with someone who would always understand jokes? <laughs> and you'd never have that, that, that spectre again. <laughs> it happened because of just happenstance, but there yeah, yeah. actually is one wonderful thing about it. Yeah. Hannah, what about you? If you could go back in time... What would you change? What would you do differently? Would you get I more balloons in? Yeah, I, I don't know, because I'm one of those people that has that, like, no regrets attitude generally in life. Um, just just carry on. But actually, both, you'll probably notice this, both Nikki and I decided to grow out our grey hair in lockdown. And I kind of regret that in that I don't really like it, but I've committed to it for now for six months, so I feel like I'm going to have to stick with it because I did it. 
So maybe I would have carried on dyeing my hair, which is a really useless answer. But, but... also, Hannah, Hannah, you know that if you did dye it within a week, when the little grey halo starts yeah, to show, you just have to you'd do be it like, again. "Oh, yeah. this is the worst thing ever." It's just ennui. Yeah. What about you, Mick? Uh, I would have gone, I'd have squeezed in a trip to Alton Towers, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. I could probably have seen my family, that would have been nice. But I just to remember what a roller coaster could feel like when it was fun instead of just everyday life. Uh, Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, Alton Towers or, you know, other theme parks are available just to get some, some thrills and spills in before becoming an indoor person. Or maybe yeah. maybe got married before, maybe brought the wedding forward. Nah, Alton Towers. Although, Alton Towers. you know, could you could you put those hands together? <laughs> Is there an Alton Towers wedding? Are they are they licensed? I mean, Lawrence, if after this conversation that actually happens, do I owe you any money or anything? Um, <laughs> let's say yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so oh, no, nice. no, I couldn't. Well, I think I couldn't not. Put those but together. let's say yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Alton Towers, uh, which you know. Let's all do that. Let's all go to Alton Towers. Hmm. Yeah, well, that kind of leads to the question I wanted to ask, which was, if everything went back to normal tomorrow, what, oh. would, what would be the first thing that you did? Let's start with Deliso. If everything went back tomorrow, oh, what would be the first thing I would do? Oh, it's not very funny, but just honestly, I would go to Malawi. I would see my family, my parents, you know, uh, who are like in their 70s, who we've been talking on Zoom, but you know it's not the same. No. I would oh, oh, on the way to the airport though. I would hug every human being I pass, <laughs> right? <laughs> Literally strangers. I'd be like, uh, "Do you consent? Yes, okay." Just hug absolutely everybody. Then get on a plane, go to Malawi, see my family, hug all of them, and just like meet in person. I think that would be it. Just. Uh, be more touchy-feely than I ever was. I'm not a touchy-feely person. I was never a toucher. Now I'm like, now that I'm not allowed to, I really want to. (laughs) I'm trying to work out what my reaction would be if a stranger ran up to me in the street shouting, do you consent? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you want more specific. To a hug, do you consent? To a hug, to a hug, people. To a hug. And I also think that if it was literally, they'd just find a magic vaccine. So not one with like a vaccine, which means that it's got zero effects and nobody's afraid of it that day. They, nobody would be remotely bothered by someone running up and saying, can we hug, can we hug, can we just hug? Yeah, yeah. yeah. it feels like utopia. A, a, slightly, yes. a slightly scary utopia, but we'll yes. go with it. <laughs> what, what would you be asking people to consent to, Lawrence? <laughs> I think I would be asking people to consent to uh, a pint and it is the mm. simplest pleasure in the world and I'm not a big um, pub person and I've always been famously you know had a even as a younger man had a real hard three pint limit but um, to go down the pub and not in that slightly awkward yeah we're sitting a meter apart my back's up against a perspex screen going to a pub sort of pretending you're having a good time but really you might as well just have stayed at home for all the fun you're getting but just to sit down and get a load of your you know mates together and everyone sit there and have a laugh mm. and you know you can put your arm around someone and not go am I going to kill you are you going to kill me yeah you know, I think that would be you know that that's the dream although I think the honest answer is I'd get on a train and go to London because um there's probably 
at meetings that they go oh well now we're allowed to oh. we should probably do this in person and mm. I go oh I've got to get on a train again because that was the the best thing about this has been the how um focused time has been you know zoom is great for you know the, the number of meetings 45 minute meetings that I would spend a day getting to and back which mm. are now you know over before 11 seats for someone who that's me who yes. did nothing for bitch about the train system in this country I've now romanticized this idea about how great it would be to be yeah. on a train and just go into London and I, I have to remind myself that I hated that. I liked the being yeah. in London bit, but I hated commuting into London. Well, I, I used to write a lot. I did a lot of writing on train and it, uh, trains, and it always felt like I'd kind of cheated the system. It's like, you know, when uh, in with Dan and I, when he says, I'm making time, it was sort of like, yeah. well, I've got an hour and a half here anyway, so I might as well write something. And I kind of, like, I'd always have a, a little passion project on the side that I was sort of doing in that time I cheated out of the universe on that train where I was going to have to sit there anyway. And now that's sort of, so that was sort of taken away from me. So, you know, that's that's something I miss, that little sort of side project that I was just doing, sponsored by um, the good people at Southern. <laughs> I do agree with you, though, that it's very efficient now. Like, you can do multiple Zooms. I've done shows in different countries instantly. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's some things, of course, I, I want back live everything. But I hope some things, like, for example, like, you know, when you have to entertain a company, I love just zooming into them, telling them jokes and leaving, not spending the whole day <laughs> having to schmooze with them dressed in a tuxedo. There's some parts of it where I'm just like, keep this, keep this. Yeah. When this is over, right. keep I think this. There'll be, there'll be some hangovers, hopefully, which have been quite positive out of all of that. I think it's important to remember those things so that you don't sort of all sink into this uh, trough of depression. But um, yeah, I think there have been positives. And I think that that's definitely been one of them that I know so many people who are in jobs where they'd always kind of cankered to work a little bit more like this. And were always told, mm, yeah, it's a nice idea, but it wouldn't work. Who overnight were told, yeah, go mad. And then it's, oh, come on. Yeah. 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 go mad. Some of us took that a little bit more seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Poor, yeah. poor choice of words. <laughs> but Matt Haig made an interesting point on Twitter, as is his way, which was it's key to remember that actually normal, in inverted commas for listeners, didn't didn't work for a lot of people. It wasn't a happy place mm. for a lot of people. So yeah. surely, surely, guys, we're looking at the election in America. We'll all learn lessons, won't we? That's how this works. <laughs> the yeah. great thing about humans is they always learn from their mistakes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. I'm hoping by the time we leave the Zoom call world, if we do, I've worked out how to end a Zoom call because I'm still six months in. It's still, You're still really, no. It's still, really, it's still really awkward. I mean, the actual pressing end button, but I don't know what to do. So I end up waving to people. Yes. It's really yes. I did this to me earlier. I always, the great thing about Zoom is it's quite glitchy. And so you can get away with finishing a call just by gap. <laughs> <laughs> and then just wait until everyone else goes it's sort of like you've got into a tunnel it's, it's that yeah exactly yeah. going into a tunnel because it says leave in the corner and you press that and then it goes leave meeting and you're like yeah, oh yes I've well, got yeah, to press no, another well, button <laughs> oh I thought you meant leave the room oh, I <laughs> yeah although it did We I, so, much like most people some friends of mine um, we all decided to do a quiz on a Saturday night when we were in the, the worst of lockdown um, and one of my friends wasn't really into quizzing. And uh, he he was like, I can't 
I've got no reason to say I don't want to do it. I'm just going to have to come out and say I don't want to do it because what else am I doing? You can't say, I'm yeah. really sorry, I've got something else on that evening. Um, I had exactly know. this, and I found the only excuse that you got away with is you've got another Zoom quiz. <laughs> ah, very good. People were completely bored yes. you know, prior booking. But have any of you found like people who are way too good at the technology? Like all of us are just talking and then someone comes in and there's graphics sliding in across their face and all sorts of things like that. And you're just like, how did you do that? Ah, uh, you mean young uh, people. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, that's exactly I've what I mean. them. Oh, 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 there's like, you can use some software apparently so that as you're talking, things are happening. And yeah. I was just, the first time I saw that, I was like, I did not know that was possible. I'm always confronted by this as a friend of uh, a guy that I share my office with, who I've known for years. Is I always say, uh, my, my friend Robin, who, who uh, my character was named after, Aww. sort of lives in the future and is just so um, plugged in to tech and tech news and uh, the internet. And he does sort of, you know, um, web design and back end design for websites and things. And, and he's just a good 25% of the words he uses I don't understand let alone the technology that represents mm. the actual words and it's kind of it's puzzling and tremendously useful to have someone who you can just go what does this mean and without a beat they can go oh it means that give it here I'll do it you know it's so good everyone needs that that person I think yeah. particularly in 2020 yeah, yeah that's my nephew yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more like I'm on the level with that woman who was in a meeting and changed herself into a potato for a laugh on the screen and then couldn't get it back and had to no, deliver wonderful. some serious wonderful. stats whilst <laughs> being a cartoon potato. That's that's me. I'd like what? to think that that's what Chris Chris Whitty starts doing, you know, when they have the really big briefings, just to kind of lighten it all up a little bit. Yes. A green screen of the jungle or something behind yeah. him. <laughs> Whoever does those graphics needs to be just oh. sacked. They they are ludicrous. ludicrous. It's incredible. It is incredible. Yeah. Something that my nan, who is no longer with us, could do better graphics. <laughs> Yeah, they don't. They, it's not even like they're they're bad, but they fit on the screen. They're the wrong aspect, and they don't make any sense. It's like they're deliberately trying to confuse us. Oh no, now I sound like one of those guys. Can't they just get the whoever designs the thing that Jeremy Vine bounces around on general election night? You know, when he's just like jumping on charts and like <laughs> sliding across the piano keys and stuff. They need that person to design yeah. the stuff for Boris. Those people exist exactly, and they're. And they have no work. Those people are available. Yeah, I've heard that they spent twelve billion pounds of taxpayers' money on those slides. So <laughs> <laughs> those slides are produced by Circo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mickey, what was the, what would be the first thing you'd do tomorrow if the world went back to normal? Alton Towers. Come on. Yeah, I was guessing that. <laughs> Alton Towers. Probably actually go and see my family, which is a nicer. Yeah. Maybe I could see them at Alton Towers. Is that allowed? Can I take my family to Alton yeah. Towers? Yeah. I, I mean, love we're going how you're bookending this yeah. pandemic. You're going to start with a wedding at Alton Towers and then at the end, <laughs> your family are going to go to Alton Towers. For a divorce. For a yeah. lovely divorce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do a wicked divorce party. <laughs> I'm not paying you for that one, Ricard. That was mine. <laughs> Hannah, what about you? Yeah, I think I'd just go on holiday. Where would you go? Well, literally anywhere that had scenery because I scenery well I live in the east of England and it's beautiful but it's very very flat and I've Mm. been here basically now for a year 
and I would quite like to just see a mountain or a hill. So mountain, not beach, like mountain kind of scenery. We do have beaches. I have actually been to the beach, but yeah, like something that looks like, well, just anything, you know, island, maybe island, just something that was like rolling fields and hills and just nice stuff. I could go in for a pint as well. I'm bored of seeing just the same stuff. I'd like to just see something that was like, oh, look, there's a hill. Great. No offence to Ireland, because it's gorgeous, but you go there like 12 times a year anyway, because of yeah. the family Dunleavy. And also, the last time you were there, you saw a cat riding a horse. So I don't a, a think donkey. You can beat a cat a riding donkey. a donkey. So I don't think you can beat that. So I know you've mentioned America. Is what's happening there now something that would put you off going to America? I've been to America since Trump was there, but to be fair, I've only been to East Coast America and they all hate him. So it's kind of a ideological extension of being here, I think, in many ways. Mm-hmm. I did start planning a holiday just because I read that psychologically um, it's good to plan a holiday even if you never go on it because it gives you hope for an afternoon that you like could might actually go somewhere. So, yeah, maybe maybe some real scenery, maybe the Grand Canyon or Monument Valley or something like that. Or maybe when we get out of lockdown, Mark 2, you and I can go and do, you know, like they do in like Green Card and those films where you just take pictures with like posters behind you and we can pretend we're on holiday. Pretend. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, my, my nephew got one of those things. Virtual reality. Virtual That's reality it. glasses. One of those. More specific. Um, <laughs> Just glasses? For, just for the yeah. listeners, Hannah just vaguely waved her arms around her eyes. <laughs> you knew what I was saying. Yeah, we all got it. I know, exactly. it's upsetting. I'm worried it's for all of us. Binoculars, and actually, you, I was several decades behind. Yeah. <laughs> so I suppose I could go and look at mountains on that or something. Maybe that's what the future holds. Oh, no, that's a different I like thing. how mundane our, if you compare to when people had bucket lists in uh-huh. normal times, yeah. it's always wacky stuff. It's like, I want to go uh, jump out of a helicopter. I want to, it's always really bizarre. And then now it's like, I just want to see my family yeah. or I just want to have a pint. It's, 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 we, we miss very normal stuff and we're hoping for very normal stuff. I think that's yeah. the good thing. That's another one of the good things that's come out of all this is that people have started to be far more pragmatic with their bucket lists. Yeah. It's now going to be like, <laughs> I'd like to be able to go to Tesco's whenever I want. Yes. You know, it's, exactly. it's really low exactly. rent desire. Very low rent desire. I want to go to the pub until quarter past ten. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. yeah. That, that film with Jack Nicholson, the remake, is going to be incredible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> The budget is going to be very reasonable. Very low, yeah. very low. Wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I have, I've got myself a beer because obviously was feeling a bit flat with everything that's going on. And I do have to apologise because instead of making me chipper, I think it's made me a little bit windy. So I'm sorry if you can hear that. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies. We mentioned Trump earlier. Obviously, he's yes. very much in all of our heads and hearts. No, not that last I bit. assume this is going to air after the verdict. Who knows when that will be, though? Who knows when that will be? Okay, so so it's almost like to the listeners, you're either listening to this in a bunker, the world has fallen apart, the explosion's going off, (laughs) or in a relatively normal time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hope it's the latter. Um, Yes. (laughs) if, If Trump is listening, he's in a bunker, but I doubt it. But yeah, obviously he makes the word success quite an interesting one because he's clearly successful, but not in a way that any of us want to relate to. So I would like to know what success means to you. And I'm going to start with Deliso. 
For me, I think success, it's all tied up with freedom, right? So it's things like when I became more successful as a comedian, I'm not super successful, but I was able to now pick and choose what shows I do, what shows I don't do, while it used to be just saying yes, 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 yes to everything. And I still have decisions I have to make, let's say, because financially I need to pay the mortgage and things like that. And I think success, again, is getting to the point where you've got the freedom to decide what you want to do, not what you have to do. And I think that's very much um, the ultimate success. I It's a very selfish way of looking at success. Uh, but for me, it's very much like being unrestricted by the um, external forces, which usually make you make your decisions. Yes. The power to say no. Yes, the power to say no. And also the power to pursue something trivial. So for example, I have an idea for a novel, which I love, but I have been assured this is not marketable at all. But it's what I want to write. But instead, I'm writing the more marketable idea. If I was successful enough, I could just choose to do the one which entertains me because mm. I've hit that level of success that it doesn't have to pay my bills. So it's things like that. Would you still do all the comic relief gigs? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I w instead, I would throw them and I would do them the way that I think they should be done. I would oh. say that. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Can you give, what, give us a little insight into what you do? No, no, because I like, look, I've worked for charities. I like the idea of raising all this money. And I, I, I love how wonderful it is. But I do think that a lot of the shows are put in, in a way, like why is there like, oh, get the token African, put him on. There's some things which are part of the, the baking of the bread, which I think could be removed, right? Raise the money be funny, celebrate. It's more that I don't like sometimes the bills which are put together, sometimes the way in which it's displayed on television. Like, for example, this is a perfect example. Why must a picture of people who are starving be used, right? Because, yes, there are people who are starving, but why do we need to visually present that in order to make people feel sad and make them give money, right? Yeah. I worked in a charity which had been doing well, right? But if they showed, it was a, an AIDS charity, if they showed pictures of, look how much we've succeeded, they felt they would get less money donated than showing another place where there's been no progress. Yeah. yeah. And so it creates this perception, well, nothing, nothing works anyway. But no, a lot of progress is being made, mm -hmm. but it doesn't, it's not considered a useful thing to show the progress. Yeah. It's and I would about like human it. nature, how it sort of, yeah. how much it's, you know, the the part that guilt plays, and they go, you've got to, you know, if you want, if you want the big bucks, you've got to plumb right into people's guilt, and uh, that that sort and of they might celebration right. doesn't doesn't attract the same sort of deep pockets. They might be right, but I don't know if it's been an assumed or if it's ever been tested. I don't. I wonder if there no. if there's a charity who said, look at all the good work we've done. Yeah look at this wonderful village, look at all these healthy people that you helped make healthy, give us money and we'll make more people healthy. Well, now, I always think probably guilt works the... better, but I just wish that was part of it. I always think back to the, um, the classic Bob Geldof plea when they were doing Live Aid, 
where it was just like, this is the best party in the world ever. And he had to keep on coming to telly and going, give us your bloody money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Stop just having a good time, you shits. Yeah. Yeah. Classic Geldof. Yeah, yeah. It's necessary, though. It's very necessary. Yeah, yeah. I had an argument with someone this week because this week, uh, Comic Relief said they're going to stop sending white celebrities to Africa mm-hmm. for Comic Relief, right? Yeah. And I was like... Okay, I see what you're saying, but when they sent Ed Sheeran, they got record donations, right? Mm -hmm. And isn't the money more important than the optics? But then other people who I agree with and respect are like, no, but it's it's a a white savior image. But I was like, but if you could get rid of the white savior image and still have the money, Mm -hmm. I'm with you. But imagine we lose the money. Uh, when I donated money to that, I was under the impression they were going to keep Ed Sheeran. Yeah, me too. <laughs> that is actually, you have come up with a genius fundraiser. <laughs> what we need is we to make a list of people that people don't want anymore, and then charities launch them into the universe. Yeah, I don't want to piss on your parade, that. but I think selling people is bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's one of the things they're against. Yeah. 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 It does feel nice to cut back to the studio and just see, you know, Jonathan Ross holding a plane ticket and an envelope and going, <laughs> I could send this. <laughs> Is that what you want? Uh, Do they want Ed Sheeran anyway? That's a whole different story. Lawrence, what about you? What does success look like to you? I don't know. I mean, it's sort of a similar answer in a lot of ways in that... Um, I I don't think I've ever I know some people and some very very talented people who have also always had that incredible drive and ambition and always sort of looking towards you know the next goal and the next step up the ladder and I always remember having this conversation with with Ben Wilbon who obviously I work with a lot and he always says you know that there are a lot of actors who sort of are always looking to the peak of the mountain and then seem surprised that when they get to that peak they you know look over to their left and go oh there's a there was another peak I, I didn't know was there. And there's a great story. I won't name names because I don't want to get anyone's trouble. But um, someone I worked with worked with a, a very big, very uh, successful Hollywood actor. And they were on set somewhere. And, they st- and, and part of where they were filming had a number of posters of other actors. And one of them was of, I think it was like Tom Hanks or someone like that. And it was just being very funny and slightly spiky about this poster and he was never quite sure of what the dynamic was and then realized that this was someone who despite being a household name tremendously wealthy tremendously successful clearly had a real chip on their shoulder about the fact that yeah but i'm not tom hanks right and so i'm sort of glad in a way that i've never had that sort of endless hankering i've always I, i you know i like to do things that i'm proud of and i i've i've always had i suppose sort of coming from a working class family i've always had quite a good work ethic and I like the idea of you know putting in the hours and putting in the time and trying to write the best thing you can and you know trying to make something as good as it can be and I am a bit of a you know a a bit only retentive and a bit of a perfectionist but I like that side of it trying to make the best product but that idea of reaching for continual better attainment I've, I've never really I've never sort of got um never really understood that side of of you know fame and success I also think social media makes it worse. I think social media is an envy generating machine. Yeah. Right? Like there are lots of successful people who I never would have known about their success if not for social media. So 
like I struggle with envy and I try and I often find that if I go off social media for a week, I'm not envying anybody. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I've met a number of people as well who, you know, young people, I love young people, don't get me wrong. But, um, <laughs> they, who, who genuinely, when they sort of, you know, one of their career aims is I want to be an influencer and you go, that doesn't mean, that's not, that's not a thing. No. That's grown up out of this envy that you get someone who is, professionally installed upon a platform to make you feel envious so that you want yeah. to be like them so that other people envy you as opposed to going you want to have a talent or a skill that other people look up to and try to attain you know that that's being an inspiration and that's fine and good but just to go i i envy this person so i'd like to be the next generation of people that other people less well yeah. off than me envy mm. it's a really weird cycle to get into and always yeah. find that slightly troubling and you're always on that treadmill you're never going to be satisfied you're never no. going to feel like you've succeeded yeah yeah and it is a, just a filter you know what you're putting out there on these feeds is what you have to put out there because you're seen as an influencer you know these people aren't really living those lifestyles no it's you know and i think people i don't think that that's sort of pulling the veil away i think people do know that but they're happy to kind of buy into the myth mm. because yeah. you know it looks nice and that's good content and all of that and you know it's cognitive they're happy to dissonance. be lied to it's yeah yeah yeah. yeah, definitely. You know, we've all got a role on our iPhone of just us crying and eating trifle with our hands. I just, <laughs> yeah. just don't put it on I mean, on that's Twitter. my Instagram. <laughs> I love your it. Instagram. It <laughs> makes me want trifle, though. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, what about you? What does success mean to you? I think for me, success is finishing stuff because ah. I am, as Mickey will attain, it sounds quite arrogant, but it is actually true. I am an ideas machine literally it's ideas infuriating. just infuriating <laughs> ideas just spill out of me I mean not they're not all good but quite a lot of them are good but it means that I'm always working on 75 things at once and I never finish anything yeah. so actually having the willpower to stick to something and finishing it and saying oh you know that series of short stories I was going to write or you know that special podcast I was going to make or whatever to actually put it in the world and say I did that I wrote it I did it or I made it or I, I whatever I am a lot of... I'm like you too and yeah. if it wasn't for the existence of producers and deadlines i would never finish anything yeah. and well, often i'm a journalist yes you have <laughs> there's someone, always somebody going there's Where always is someone it? yelling at you and yeah. i hate it but it it's necessary yeah. <laughs> i think that's I have... why i tended to do so much writing on trains because mm. you go you can't go and make a sandwich or have a bath you can't it's, it's an anti-procrastination zone and that's sort of great for just getting things done because there's no alternative that was a really good avenue for me when yeah. you next get a train though i really want you to try to have a bath on it <laughs> that, <Yeah>. just, <laughs> that is just such a lovely image oh great yeah first day back on the funny. train and i'm banned from trains <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I, I do like the idea of finishing because you know what actually I think you're right because as much as I've said all this stuff about freedom the most satisfied and the most successful I've felt is like when I finish like you know I've written an episode of a radio show it's done it's recorded that moment is really satisfying and that's like yes that is really finishing things is part of the success very much part of it do you remember in the film um well in the book i assume it's the same i don't actually read that book but in uh, of misery that when the james khan character finishes writing a book he always smokes a cigar 
Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that, yeah. that was sort of his little celebration. I had a similar thing for a while that when I finished a, a final draft or something, I bought myself a vintage Star Wars figure. Oh, and wow. Then, <laughs> and then I realized the sort of person I was becoming. <laughs> and I didn't know how to feel about myself. Yes. yes. No, I have a reward system, which I have a... It's, I tried to gamify my life. So I have a bunch of things which, when I achieve them, I am allowed to do something. So like I'm on a diet, but if I finish like a, a number of pages on my novel, I can buy some cake or something like that. And so I create like a reward system and I kind of do what you did with Star Wars figures, but with little things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Mickey here with an advert for better help therapy online. You all right? Such a small question and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression and while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Why fit it? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution, in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit. But BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's better H-E-L-P dot com slash standard. Mickey, what about you? I think what success means to me has changed over the years. And instead of being one of those young people that Lawrence was talking of earlier and making <laughs> me feel very uncomfortable, um, <laughs> I probably did strive for stuff that was you know, your 15 seconds of fame. I didn't want to be famous, but just achievements instead of just being satisfied and being comfortable and being pleased with what I am achieving. So yeah, actually just being satisfied and happy and being content and realising that being content was a good place to be is, it feels like a success for me. And also being in a place where coming from a pretty tough background myself... I can help out if it's needed and that feels mm. really really nice that actually I can take take the weight off some of my family and friends which is really nice. Very nice. 
And I can afford to go to Alton Towers, so they better get that fucker out. <laughs> but I think I'm also going to add a footnote now because of things like lockdown. I've realized that I will feel successful when I'm like, I can go, I've got two years of savings. I don't care what's cut. Like I used to feel, oh, I've got around six months of it. I'm fine. And now I'm like, no, I need to broaden my idea of safety. Yeah. 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 Actually, while we're all talking about our working class backgrounds, I have to say to you, Lawrence, I, when, when I talk about podcasts, I always say the point of podcasts for me, the, the, the joy of podcasts, the example I use is the story that you tell in your episode of The Rule of Three about how you used to share a video with the house next door. <laughs> Because yeah. any other interview on earth, that's that would that would have been cut because it wasn't the meat of the it wasn't the meat of the interview. It was an ancillary thing that you said, and that is the joy of podcasting. The fact that I heard that story, and it just really made me laugh because I yeah. can imagine it from um, from radio yeah. rentals. And we had we had a week, and then Dot and Chris had it for a week, and then it would come <laughs> back to us. Bizarre, isn't it? We had what a world. we I had an uncle that used to drive for Sanyo. And oh, uh, yes. everybody's house was full of Sanyo goods that had fallen off the rack. Of the <laughs> <laughs> Literally, the job. that we is had, wonderful. We had, we all had a Sanyo video. And we were quite advanced. People were like, oh, you've got a video, which is quite a lot for you know. God, I wish I'd known you back then. Have <laughs> saved me yeah. a few steps. <laughs> My grandma and granddad used to get their TV from Radio Rentals, but couldn't quite stretch for a video as well. But my granddad was big into the horses. He loved the horses. And whenever he, he won on the bookies, he only ever won small. But he would buy a broken VHS player and try to fix it. And the front room was just littered with like, really? he was trying to make this Frankenstein's monster. And in the end, he managed to make one that could record from one to another so he could get us pirate videos. Amazing. What a guy. What a dude. What a guy. Impressive. <laughs> It's my question again, isn't it? It is. Okay, I would like to know, I mean, it's been a good year for some people, it's been a bad year for others. I would like to know if you were going to say you had a man of the year, who who would you pick? Oh. Oh, straight in there, Deliso. Oh, no, 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 no. That oh, okay. Was, I, I was no, you thinking. made the noise, you have to answer first now. <laughs> <laughs> it's the rules. Okay, now, I suppose it's... A, I, I, I would say my man of the year... It would actually be J. Michael Straczynski. Okay, so J. Michael Straczynski is an an author uh, who also wrote a science fiction television show, an old classic science fiction television show called Babylon Five, which I watched yeah. through lockdown. Like literally, I think lockdown is the time of box sets, right? Yeah. And literally, when I was having an ongoing story which you're going to every day I think was very much what was keeping me sane particularly during the first three months where I was alone and very depressed and um, even though it was written very long time ago, uh, well not that long ago, 20 years ago or something I'm not sure uh, but that I would say is, I even messaged, that's the amazing thing of Twitter, I messaged him, I was able to message him and say thank you for keeping me sane during lockdown and he messaged back well that's what it's for and I thought that was lovely did you follow up with do you consent (laughs) 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 that is totally what Twitter is for I can't 
I mean, so much of it is just so toxic. So much the of the ability toxic, yeah. to just send something to someone and then they reply to you, and you just think, "Oh, that is my day made." Yeah. Just totally. Hannah great. once phoned me at two a.m. to tell me that Mike Judge had started following her on Twitter. She was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Still Come excited. No. Yeah, absolutely. Lawrence, do you have a man of the year? I, I do. Um, and I think it would probably be, um, I mean, it would probably be shared, but it would be uh, by Paul Harvey and Nick Harvey. And I don't know if you saw this story. Nick Harvey, someone, uh, a, a composer who I uh, followed on yeah. Twitter, and I don't know in real life, but um, who, um, as a way of getting his dad to um, oh, yeah. engage when he was battling with dementia, gave him these you know, this sort of old party trick of his, I suppose, of giving him four notes and, uh, you know, as, as a composer and a music teacher himself before he retired, that to improvise around these notes and it growing out of this into this viral clip, which then became, a, you know, a, a recording, which became him being reunited with a number of his former pupils who had themselves been inspired by him to get into the industry. And I think it was really uplifting in this year where there hasn't been a lot of uplifting things. Mm -hmm. I think it says a lot about the power of music, which is a nice thing. And again, like you're saying, it's one of these things that happens on social media, which is shows, you know, the, the, the positive nature of the human spirit as opposed to being a horrible, toxic argument machine. It felt like such a tonic in, in so many ways. And, you know, what just what a lovely thing to have happened to them both. It was a, it was a really lovely little moment in this weird year. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. In fact, I, I would say, I mean, if I had to pick a politician, I would say Leo Varadkar, but we're not doing that. But um, yeah, Andrew Cotter has brought more joy to my life this year as someone uh, I've never met than I think ever before. I mean, he was on our podcast last week. He's written a very funny book and those videos were just joyful. Yeah. And like you say about the power of music, that was like the power of, of pets. That was yeah. just so clear there, that just absolute... Nobody had a bad word to say about that. And that's so rare on social media. So unbelievably rare. Yeah, definitely. Mickey? I'm going to be soppy because we're probably not going to answer this question again because we don't usually talk to the chaps. But Gary, my fella, has been my man of oh. the year because I'm, I'm prone to anxiety and getting quite stressed about situations. And he is my Mr. Blue Skies. And obviously there have been quite a few situations where that stress has been heightened and he has bought me a hammock. He's bought me a little swinging egg chair. He's cooked me my tea. He's given me loads of hugs. He's reassured me and he makes me laugh every day, uh, sometimes on purpose. It's amazing. And I am very, very I, lucky. I am taking Gary. We're going to Walton Towers. <laughs> you can't have him, Richard. You can't have him. So on the flip side of that, I would like to know who has been your woman of the year. Oh, Lawrence did the lean back this time, so I'm going to go there first. Oh, OK. This is where you have to edit out a minute and a half of silence while I go. <laughs> what is <okay>. woman? <laughs> would it be Women, helpful if I say? went oh, first? Interesting. <laughs> would it be helpful if I went first? Yes. 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 Uh, OK. I'm going to say Michaela Cole because I think she wrote something that was so phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And what's so interesting about I May Destroy You is that it meant something different to everybody else. And that's really a rare skill. I know people who said, this is about being black. I know people that said, this is about being a woman. I know people that said, this is about being poor. You know, I personally thought 
it was a really good um, example of how sometimes you can disagree with people and they can you can both be right at the same time even though you're saying different things so I think it was it was all about nuance and I just thought um, everything about her that, that she wrote that that she went through what she went through and then turned it into something positive and something that was really excellent I was always impressed by Michaela Cole but even more so I think this year Every time you say you're impressed by Michaela and then you say Cole and not Noonan, I'm <laughs> sorry, I get quite upset. It's quite upsetting, sorry. even though I agree with you that she is better. <laughs> Do you guys still need more time? I've got one. He's what? in. He's in. Jacinda Arden. Oh, she's I've got mine. to say. She's so inspiring, also, in that she makes it seem manageable. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And it, it's, it's also one of. Now, sometimes it's infuriating because you have that, well, why do they have that and we have this? Oh, my Lord. But it's just when it felt like nobody could manage this, mm -hmm. the way that they're managing, I'm like, it can be done. It was mm -hmm. very inspiring every time she speaks. And even like when she was dealing with things, now that was probably the year before the terrorism and stuff like that, but I just felt consistently she's very inspiring and very much what you wish leaders could be yeah. and what in the books and in fiction what leaders are as opposed to what yeah. we end up with she continued on through an earthquake she carried on yes. she's unflappable <laughs> and the world was shaking around her that's so impressive but the thing you've all got to remember though is like new zealand's an island so it's very different to oh no i should work <laughs> for a second there i was like oh yeah that's a really good point <laughs> <laughs> Geography, not my strong suit. <laughs> you and Dominic Raab. Um, so, <laughs> Lawrence, what about you? Because mine was Jacinda Ardern as well. So, oh. Lisa's done the talking for me like a classic man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would be, I'd be split. And you can see um, where maybe this gives you an insight into the sort of things I hate, as these are kind of the antithesis of it. And they're also. Um, both three letters, um, which would be either AOC or the Dear Departed RBG. Oh, uh, oh, right. Just in terms of one, holding certain people to account. You know, I think, um, you know, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, in terms of just never backing down, never allowing herself to be talked down to by people who, who try and constantly engage that. I've got a better understanding of this situation. I've got um, a better grasp of the jargon. I've been doing this longer and never being cowed by that and always going, no, hang on a minute and pulling things back to the brass tacks, which I think is really helpful at the moment because, you know, the way the thing that Trump's done is to go and go, I'm the brass tax guy. And all of these politicians, they, you know, the career politicians weasel their way around and they're uh, old establishment types and they're not in touch with people. To have somebody who is sort of, in a lot of ways, treading that same path on completely opposite side of the fence, I think is so helpful. And with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, yeah. I think it's one of those people, I think everyone knew what an important figure she was, what she'd done through her life, but also what she represented to America in terms of hope. Mm. And I think, you know, it is tragic that she's gone, but also, you know, so tragic that she went, had to go just quite that soon. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously that's tragic as a situation and timing, but also I think it made people reflect on 
the balance of power she held and and the incredible things she did through her life you know the documentary that i'm sure you know we've all seen about her is just fascinating and i think she's one of those people where it's only when after she's gone that i realized how little i knew about her and it's just you know it's it's a hell of a life and she's quite an inspirational figure in these slightly rotten times and it came really really soon after the death of my like personal per- like i mean i don't use the word hero much but i would suppose hero which was uh, representative john lewis who had died earlier in the year and yeah. was such a legend in the civil rights movement and it just seemed like oh 2020 just stop it just literally stop yeah. it and i felt like all the dominoes were falling at one point and it's just unbearable to watch i mean they both lived very long very full very yeah. happy lives but but yeah it, it was all too close it, together at one point it just it sort of felt like in, in both those cases it compounded the tragedy the fact that they didn't get to see the precipice of a new hope yeah you know, not the great star wars film i knew but, you were getting they didn't just star have, wars. <laughs> <laughs> nothing if not reliable but um you know that that it just would have been so lovely to have you know for them to have seen some sort of new dawn after the the, the horror of the last four years isn't it amazing because yeah. they're both people who you go but we need you we need you now like of course yes. we, yeah. but i feel like through every decade we've needed them mm. they've been people who are necessary and it doesn't mm. feel like anyone's coming up to take their place yeah I Wait, think... somebody say something cheerful <laughs> just go to Alton Towers guys we need to like, get out of this funk and get on a log flume we have to wrap this up Hannah do you want to ask your question no I've got my no face no you've got a no face actually getting all stroppy Lawrence is going to be forced to do this isn't he <laughs> we let him leave Ricard's glitching he's glitching he's gone in a tunnel um, and it's going to be a hard question because I, I genuinely don't know if you have. But we always say, do you have anything to plug? Is there anything that you would like us to point uh, point oh, yes. people to? Yes, Deliso, in there. Yes. yes. So I am in a insane fashion doing a show every day of the coronavirus. Right. What? Now, yeah, it's that... probably now around episode 180 or something like that because there have been a few days off if I'm doing something like this but every day it's called the Corona Cast Comedy Show it's free, it's on everything, YouTube, Twitch Facebook, whatever and it's me telling jokes about whatever is going on to be fair, when I started it, I thought it would be two months (laughs) (laughs) and now I'm I'm one of those maniacs who once I've started a thing, I was like, I have to see it too, because I want, when this is all over, it to, to be like a document mm-hmm. of everything. And it starts out with me just being depressed and alone, and then all the twists and turns, and then there's a good 15 episodes of Black Lives Matter insanity, because I, I gotta admit, I was like, it was like cocaine to me. I was like, mm. I was binge watching the hashtag and talking about everything, and it's just like the whole progress, and that that's what I'd plug. Corona cast comedy show. Find it wherever. Day seven hundred and forty-five. Deliso is very tired. <laughs> no, please, no, please, no. <laughs> Lawrence, do you have anything in the pipeline that might appear at some um, point? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, the next thing um, for for me in in terms of things we're making will be all being well. If the COVID gods allow, will be uh, we're shooting new ghosts in the new year. 
Um, but at the moment, yeah, Ghost, we just, just finished on BBC One and is now available on iPlayer and on DVD and will be returning for an episode that I don't know whether or not I'm allowed to talk about, but I'll just say I didn't do it um, for Christmas. <laughs> we've got right. So that that will be uh, the, the next time will be a lovely a lovely Christmas it's special. On, it's on the BBC preview service, but it's currently got a lock on it. So ah. I'll go and have a look and well, there see. You go. So I can say the... I can say it exists, but say nothing more yeah. about it. Except we're really proud of it. We're really proud of it for a number of reasons. I think it does something really lovely tonally. And it presents some stories that you probably wouldn't see a lot on mainstream um, BBC One sitcoms. Um, and it's full of festive cheer. We're, very, we're really, really pleased and proud of how it turned out. It's cheeky because we're, we're wrapping things up, but I've got an extra question. Do you have a favourite ghost? Do you have a favourite character? I don't, the thing is, every time I think I've settled on one, someone goes, oh, that was a funny bit. And you go, yeah, no, they are good, aren't they? I love, I mean, I love Pat because Pat's yeah. so close to Jim and I love Jim and they Does just... he ever do that thing where he pulls his shorts up really high? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that was that. I can't remember, I think that might actually be based on him playing football when he was about seven, <laughs> so yes <laughs> but he, he genuinely, he's he is like the captain of morale and you know he's he's so enthusiastic and positive and forward thinking and it's just you know the fact that, that his ghost captures that so well is lovely but I've got um, an endless enduring uh, soft spot for Kitty because she's just she just you know her naivety and her endless joy in the face of what has clearly been a tragic life that she's completely unaware of is just it's, I don't know there's just some something about how, how Lolly plays it that I just think is is the real magic in a bottle stuff. Yeah, we could all do with a bit of Kitty right now, couldn't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah she's just a, there's a there's a quality to her that is just and it, a, a lot of the people I know who watch it who you know watch it as a family and have got um, younger kids. That's the character they're all drawn to as well, which I think is you know lovely for something that's got that sort of you know multi generational audience that they just all seem to really you know really anchored to that character. It's really sweet. I, I also just realised that. When you ask me if I've got anything to plug, and I've got, I have a mental image of my agent bagging, banging their head against the wall <laughs> in rage. So I actually should have said, I'm going on tour. <laughs> Just Here a little thing. I'm going on tour. I'm going on tour next year. That's the thing which I've got. But it's just one of those things. I know the Corona catch is going to happen, and I'm hoping I'm going on tour next year. Delisa's uh, agent literally just popped up in this Zoom call. Yeah, just popped up in this call. Why are you talking about this, this vanity project of yours which makes no money? Pass the tour, you idiots! <laughs> Where can people find out more about your tour, Delisa? It will be africancomedian.com. Okay. And Lawrence, where, where can people find you on the old socials if indeed you want to be found? Um, yes, I am uh, Lazbatron for reasons that I've now forgotten in the midst of time on um, Twitter and uh, on uh, Instagram. It and sounds a little bit like a school insult. I it think sounds it like was... people would have said, God, you're a total Lazbatron. It does a bit. I think it was actually... It was a guy, a very uh, a lovely, lovely uh, comedy writer called Phil Kerr. And, and I was, when I was writing on like Charlotte Church show years ago and our first, very first day together, they were like, this is Phil. And he sat down opposite me and he just went, so 
That's Patron. And I just love the fact that he gave me <laughs> a nickname and such a weird nickname, but like within 10 seconds of meeting me, and I was just like, that's such a bold move. And it, it stuck with me. But I do get called a la- lasbo by a lot of a lot of my friends and my partner calls me that. So, yeah. <laughs> I used to get called something similar, but that was because people misunderstood why I wasn't having any sex. <laughs> <laughs> On that bombshell, guys. Uh, yes. This has actually been a lot of fun. This has been yeah, delightful. It's been lovely. I love the surprise in that. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm afraid that's all we've got time for, except obviously if we were in front of a very lucky live audience who would deemed they would be consented to be hugged to death by Deliso. <laughs> it would be at this point in the show where I said, please join me in thanking our excellent guests, Deliso Chaponda and Lawrence Ricard. And thank you very much for listening. Standard Issue for All Women.